Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle, and I am joined today by Bradley Gerrard, news editor. How are you doing, Bradley? Very good, John. Thank you. Very good. 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 Lots of news this week. Lots of uh, exciting, exciting stories. Plenty of things going really, on. Yeah, really busy. Uh, and uh, in a rare visit to the office, Simon Thompson. How are you, Simon? I'm very well, John. And I've been casting my eye across this fantastic feature you've written, or the company's team have written for this week's issue. It's um, yeah, it's all my work. Is it all your work? Okay, no, no credit to anyone else then. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, lots of uh, interesting insights there that you're going to shed some light on because obviously AIM is a happy hunting ground for you. It certainly is. I- I've looked through the uh, 50-odd companies that um, you've mentioned and I've got some hopefully good advice for the readers on some of those companies. So. Great. Okay. And hopefully dispelling too some of the myths that AIM is, uh, as, uh, as some of our friends would describe it, a, a cesspool of, uh, <laughs> of skullduggery and, and incompetence and fraud and, and other such uh, terrible goings on. It's quite a strong wording. Yeah, well, not my words. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, AIM is a good market. And it's been a happy hunting ground for you. We're going to talk about that. It's the, it's the subject of this week's cover feature, the AIM 100. So we'll come to that very shortly. But let's start, Bradley, with the news. What we got? Yeah, I guess um, a bit of a theme, I suppose, is um, activism upon uh, by investors. Obviously, last week we had um, the big showdown at BP and a, a very large proportion of investors showing their dislike about Bob Dudley's uh, pay. Um, yeah, so what was it? It was an enormous pay rise, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, was a vast offered. pay rise. It was $20 million. But yeah, I mean, not on quite the same scale of activism necessarily, but um, Lake House, which we've covered a little bit, um, there's a bit of um, activism by uh, Slater Investments, which is run by Mark Slater. Yeah, we know him well. Yeah, exactly. He's a good fund manager. He had sort of pressured the board to um, enact some changes, um, mainly of its membership. And that was going to come down to a a vote at the annual general meeting. But actually, they've kind of agreed um, that they they won't take it that far. They'll just... um, Chris Geohagen, who is the non-executive chairman, is going to leave. And there are going to be some um, replacements added to the board. So, yeah, you know, a bit of activism kind of winning out there, I suppose. This is a funny little sector, this. I mean, this is is in sort of uh, public sector housing maintenance type stuff. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Simon, you know, going back to your old company's editor days, it's a funny, it's a difficult place to do business. I mean, you'd think it's a a money printing, you know, machine, but it's, it's kind of tough. I think it's balancing the margins that you actually earn on the business with the cash flow required to generate the profits. And it's a balancing act. Mm. And... Yes, you're right. So a high percentage of companies just don't do it right. No, it's, it's a tricky one. I'd avoid it personally, but uh, there you go. Yeah, I think it's probably quite tough, especially with them. Um, you know, it's probably very linked to sort of the, the government budgets as well, I guess, and how much they're supporting, you know, housing stock and that sort of thing. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, not another great sector. Um, but sticking to the idea of activism, um, we also did another uh, another piece on um, stock spirits in the main news section. Yeah. Um, and a few weeks ago, I spoke to them. They had their results, and um, I was speaking to their CFO, and they were talking about um, you know they'd enacted this kind of root and branch review of their um, operations in Poland, which is by far their largest uh, market. So, stock spirits. Tell us what it does. Quickly. They're a distiller, so they make things like vodka and other spirits. How can you go wrong in Poland making well, vodka? Exactly. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, <laughs> there are there are there are Eastern European focused business. As I say, the bulk of their business is in Poland, um, and they had really been struggling in that country. So they'd they'd 
they'd um, you know enacted this review and to come out with this something like a, a 12 kind of point plan to kind of um, you know change the fortunes there and then when I looked at it I just I just lost a bit of confidence really and the um, CFO was also saying that their M&A strategy hadn't quite worked up until now so they were going to broaden it and if they failed to find any companies to buy they were going to return cash to shareholders which on the face of it might sound good but to me I thought that was a, that would be a bit of um, you know a bit of a sort of acceptance of um, failure really if you can't find anything to buy um, so you're just going to return cash it's not always the best thing really no, and then I, no. I, on that I kind of put them on a sell and since then this massive kind of um, ruction I suppose has erupted between Stock Spirits board and its largest shareholder which is uh, Western Gates Private Investments um, Western Gate represents a man called Luis Amaral who is also the chief executive of Eurocash, which is um, effectively a big kind of um, cash and carry type outlet in Poland. And Louis Amaral kind of actually had a fairly similar view to me that um, the this review of the Polish operations wasn't good enough and it probably wasn't going to lead to the results that he and the, or the board want, would hope that it would. And so he has actually requisitioned the board, um, which means that at the AGM, he'll be um, plumping for two non-execs to join the board. He was also plumping for the chief executive to be removed. And actually, after two short weeks, the chief executive has decided to take an early retirement. Um, so make of that what you will. I mean, to me, it seems like maybe uh, Chris Heath, who was the chief executive, didn't want to bother with a fight, which might be fair enough. He's been at Stock Spirits about eight years, I think it was, um, 55. So I guess, you know, maybe retiring now makes sense. But Hasn't been on the market that long, though, has it? No, it listed, I think it was 2014 or maybe late 2013 from memory. Mm, mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, in a way, uh, Western Gates um, and Mr. Amaral kind of have have got their way partially already. You know, the, a new chief executive will have to be hired now that Mr. Heath has uh, taken early retirement, and so we'll see. In May, uh, May twenty third is a new new date for the AGM. It got pushed back because of this uh, this requisition by Western Gate. So yeah, we'll see. It's, it's an interesting one. I mean, I was speaking to an analyst last night actually, and he was saying for him. At, at the price that Stock Spirits is trading at, we've been through about two or three profit warnings last year. He doesn't really think it could get too much worse now, and obviously it always can do. But from his view, he was saying he can't see how you wouldn't make money investing in Stock Spirits right now. I'm not so convinced. Famous last words. Exactly. Indeed. I'm not so convinced yet, because if this um, vote at the AGM fails and these two non-executive directors aren't, hired then maybe the stock won't sort of respond very well so i think it's just a bit too difficult to, to call at the moment i mean the reality is ballroom ructions aside i mean it's the trading that matters yes it is and things that marginally improved in poland in, in the in its q1 update recently but a big criticism um, of the company by uh, mr amaral is that their headquarters in, is in the uk so he's criticized what he calls remote control management so you've got the company who's the bulk of its activities are in Poland, yet it's based in Berkshire or something running the business. And he just does not see that as, as a good way to do things. And I, and I guess potentially he's been he's being proven right in if the recent trading is anything to go by. Generally speaking, though, I mean, activism is kind of something we kind of like. If, yeah. You know, I mean, you've got lots of underperforming businesses. I mean, you know, something like Morrison's, for example. I mean, there were activists threatening, you know, to get involved there or you know, who certainly did get involved to some degree and... 
Yeah, it's kind of turning it round. In some you, I mean, obviously, you have to if you're an individual investor and some there is a larger kind of shareholder that's being an activist. I guess you have to question their motives and ask yourself whether you want to be taken along for that ride. But yeah, I would say that you're probably largely right. I mean, activists they want to make some money. That's usually their their main sort of their main rationale. And as an individual investor in that company, I guess you probably do too. And if you agree with their points of view, mm. then it's probably worth sticking in most of the time. I'm sure there'll be examples whereby that's not worked out very well but usually i guess an activist would end up enacting some sort of change which maybe on the balance of probabilities ends up being positive no i guess you've got a balancing act to weigh up you know uh the presence of an activist would suggest that the company's not doing so well yes but then again maybe its presence could lead to things being implemented that make it become better absolutely more quickly than had they not been involved i'm I'm pretty sure even apple has had activists involved you know i mean that's a huge company and you know no one can accuse apple of being run badly but activists have certainly enacted some change there not least the return of cash apple has such a cash rich balance sheet that for years it was sitting on huge amounts of cash and if you're a balance sheet approached investor like myself and you analyze balance sheets you think excess capital is not efficient you're deleting or depleting the return on equity by having so much cash excess cash just return it but for these big american companies it's easier said than done because mm. a lot of that cash as an, isn't actually in America it's actually in overseas subsidiaries so to get the cash back there's tax implications so it's it's not as clear cut as sometimes yeah. you think it could be let's not go into the tax subject because that's been a big issue in recent weeks and it, it kind of we, we start getting its political territory with that so uh, yeah let's not let's not go there let's not go there well, having just said that, Brexit brouhaha—that's quite political. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, you know, if I, I was—I was a bit split on this, but since Michael Gove uh, told us we could all become like Albania, well, I don't know, maybe maybe he swung it for me. Yeah, I'm signed up. <laughs> well, sorry, which side is he on? <laughs> <laughs> He's meant to be on the uh, Vote Leave campaign, but he's basically saying that Britain could have a relationship with the EU like someone like Albania does, and that's supposed to be kind of um, a, a carrot for this, um, you know, for the people who are undecided and therefore might want to vote leave. It just seemed a bit of a strange example of a country to use. He's a strange man, though. He, I I guess so, yeah. (laughs) I I guess that's probably fair. I I doubt you'd find many teachers who have many good things to say about it. My wife's a teacher and she does not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's another matter altogether. The uh, Academy programme, which we haven't covered in this week's magazine for obvious reasons. It's nothing to do with the stock market. (laughs) It might Um, soon become so. It might do. It might do. You never know. You never know, but yeah, it is odd. We're going to cover this in in a, in a few weeks' time properly. Yeah. And I have had a few uh, letters from readers saying, why haven't you done anything about Brexit? And I'm going to say the reason we haven't done anything about Brexit is because until the starting gun was fired on the referendum, which is in eight weeks? 23rd of yeah, June. Like that, yeah. June. We didn't really have a lot to go on. And I'm still not sure we have a lot to go on. I mean, you've, you've got essentially two camps who, who whose opinions of what Brexit means are poles apart and well, I'm kind now, of just trying to get some what's what's true yeah i guess now you have this big treasury paper but beyond that i mean vote leave aren't really producing a sort of a counter dossier as it were so you're right there isn't a lot to go on and oh well, vote leave are very cross though with the, this treasury paper well, very cross they're going to be cross about anything that the remain camp does aren't they like paying for leaflets out of taxpayers money which is you could argue not very good form but you know, if if the, she was on the other foot, I'm sure they'd do the same thing. Yeah, yeah. So we are going to cover this properly. Mm. Um, 
in as much as we can because I, I do think there are so many unknowns at this. I mean, you know, really kind of predicting what Brexit means is, is, is almost impossible. Almost impossible. One thing it does mean is a bit of uncertainty at the moment, but it doesn't really seem to have affected markets. I mean, they're flying at the moment, absolutely flying. Still. Yeah, I think the FTSE hit sort of a year to date high, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's mad. It's mad. Well, I think markets, you've also got to bear into consideration when they bottomed out in February, the oil price bottomed out, the mm, copper price mm. bottomed out. And I was looking at some of the charts yesterday for the major FTSE 100 miners and commodity stocks, um, and actually BlackRock World Mining Trust as well. That's a massive investment trust which holds shareholdings in Billiton and Rio Tinto. Interestingly, they've all broken out to the upside. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why the FTSE 100 has recovered 15 16% from those um, February lows is because of the massive performance from these, uh, or rebound in those mining stocks. Yeah, yeah. Um, Interesting, that breakout earlier this week. Indeed. Well, uh, in fact, going back to the activism thing, I think uh, I read this morning in the FT, there's going to be a bit of a, a, a brouhaha, there's a laugh <laughs> at that word, uh, Anglo-American this week on, on subjects of pay. Because these, these mining companies have done very badly, really. Well, if you look at, say, for example, Anglo-American share price, yes, it's close to £8 now, but two months ago, it was nearer £2. And five years ago, it was near 25 quid. Mm. Um, so if you were a long-term shareholder in that company, dividends aside, you've been massacred in terms of your investment, which begs the question, what were the management doing to get you into this situation that saw their share price decimated 80 90% within five, six years? Yeah, certainly not earning bumper pay packages. And in fact, I mean, just looking ahead to the AIM feature in the introduction, which I which I wrote, uh, a rarity for me to do any, any actual feature writing. Um, I looked at the performance of the AIM basic material sector, which is the closest proxy we have for mining, and the FTSE mining sector. And even AIM's miners have, have outperformed the, the, the major miners on the main market. I mean, that's extraordinary. They have, they have really done very badly indeed. But as I said, the, um, the rebound in the oil price is interesting mm. if, if that holds not just for the profitability of these these big miners and oil companies but also for risk aversion which you've seen with the rally in stock prices but also in the credit markets so a lot of factors are operating at the moment driving the market upwards and that's why the brexit argument has gone to one side but i think as we get nearer to that 23rd of june date at least for the UK stock markets, you're going to see a lot of uncertainty. Absolutely. While we're on the subject of mining, I'm going to turn quickly to the tip updates page because we have an update from uh, Hoxchild Mining, which is uh, a precious metal miner. We tipped that a month ago. It's up 58%. Wow. That's pretty spectacular. That's calling it right. <laughs> it is. But, I mean, this is the, so the gold, gold and silver. I mean, you know, they, they, they don't follow the normal rules of kind of the industrial metal miners, but something interesting going on here. There is, and it, there's other examples as well. Our colleague Mark Robinson uh, put readers into Ferro Petroleum about two months ago. Lots of caveats on it. I think the stock price was around about 45 pence. Price today, 73 pence. So again, 50% plus return in a couple of months. Leverage play on the oil price. Yeah, something's happening here. Absolutely. You mentioned the oil price in seven days this week, Doha. Yeah, right, let's talk. Let's talk about that quickly. People have kind of been well. The market, I guess, had been pinning some sort of hope that this um, big meeting in the Qatari capital would uh, lead to 
some sort of agreement about a bit of a supply freeze to help get the, the oil market back in a bit of uh, equilibrium, I suppose. But unfortunately, the fact that Saudi Arabia and Iran um, seem very, very far away from having a civilised conversation with one another uh, doesn't look like we're going to be there anytime soon. Not, not really a surprise. Not a surprise, no. And obviously, I mean, Iran's... Um, a, ability to uh, pump the amount of oil it has wanted to has been sort of curtailed in recent years because of the sanctions um, you know Iran is arguably back in the fold now in, in terms of the international community's view of it and um, you know it wants to get back up to its level of oil production that it was prior to the sanctions which seems perfectly fair enough really from an outsider's perspective um, you know they, they're probably thinking why should Saudi Arabia have it all its own way so um, yeah it, it's, it's put a bit of a um, uh, a ceiling on the rise in the oil price at the moment but I mean as Simon says I mean you know it has still come a long way the oil price since it's uh, lows that weren't too too far behind us now so mm. um, while this is a bit of um, a negative thing uh, there does seem to be a, a bit of a sense of recovery in the oil and commodity prices and also um, just touch upon very briefly the piece that we is leading in the, our news section this week about um, emerging market stocks as well they've um, outperformed um, sort of the MSCI world and the FTSE 100 um, by quite quite a rate really year to date and that's kind of another kind of high risk arguably arguably high risk play and um but yeah emerging market stocks and those stocks listed on the FTSE who have a big um you know proportion of business in emerging markets have done very very well year to date so there's potentially chiming with that argument that you made Simon that this kind of risk aversion maybe is coming off a little bit and people are feeling a little bit braver I'd, I'd agree, and I'd also go back to the fact that the credit markets send out signals. Bond investors um, generally react before equity investors, and um, some of the distress that we saw two months ago, two and a half months ago, has dissipated, and that's one of the reasons that you've seen easier conditions in equity markets as, as risk aversion uh, falls away. Mm, absolutely. I mean, I guess as well, I mean, the point to make is that yeah, when, when sentiment is bad, things t- tend to get oversold as well. They do. I mean, it's psychology of investors. It's um, people panic, make knee-jerk reactions. The psychological loss of making a loss on your investment is far greater than the psychological gain of making making a profit. And as a result, people generally overreact to the downside and quicker as well. So yeah. you, you see sharp falls in a very short space of time whereas the gains take longer to, to accumulate. Mm. Well, turning to the new spotlight, though, um, I mean, this is, this is a banking story ostensibly, but it's also a commodity story too. It is, yeah. We've had a look at the um, uh, largely sort of uh, skewed towards the US banks at the moment because they've just gone through their sort of uh, Q1 reporting season. Um, but yeah, Emma Powell has looked at the um, exposure of some of the uh, US banks to the um, sort of oil and gas uh, sector um, in terms of the amount that the banks there have lent to the, the, this sector and the um, sort of uh, basically the buffers that the banks are having to put in place um, to make sure that. Um, they don't really lose out on these loans. So the amount of money they're putting aside to just in case we don't get paid back on these loans, that that amount of money is growing for quite a few of the big US banks. So it's an interesting piece. It's definitely worth having a, having a read. And her question is, you know, is this going to come here? Yeah, exactly, yeah, which is a very valid question. And um, HSBC did actually kind of flag this a little bit um, in their recent results. Um, we think the other UK banks are a little less um, exposed than um, the, the US banks. And we're probably going to take another look into this, actually, to kind of answer our question once the, the sort of uh, 
the first set of banking results starts to come through a bit more. But, re- but really, HSBC, Standard Chart, which are the two UK banks, UK listed banks we mentioned here, they're also massively exposed to emerging markets as well. So they are, yeah, yeah. They're benefiting from the trend that you, you spoke of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A few minutes ago. Yeah, but those two are a bit exposed. Um, but yeah, not quite as much as the US banks. But um, yeah, it's definitely worth a read that piece and an interesting uh, link between, as you say, commodities and the banking sector. Well, there's plenty more news. If we, if we went through it all now... We'd be here till midnight. We'd be here for a very long time. Let's let's turn to the A100, which incredibly, over the last 12 months, is the best performing of the UK broad-based indices. So it's beaten the FTSE 100, it's beaten the All Shares, it's beaten the 250. I mean, it's a great performance. And as I said earlier, Simon, this this really kind of belies the the view that, that certain people have presented of the A market as a speculator's paradise. It's done quite well. I think what people tend to forget is that there are a lot of small companies in the UK that are world leaders. Mm. And I, I say small, but some of these same companies have got market capitalizations near a half a billion pounds at the top end of the AIM 100. Well, we still, I mean, this week we're looking at the bottom half, sure. so 100 to 51. Um, but, but I mean, it's still quite big. Well, I mean, sort of 150, 200 million up. Well, well, well exactly. And the, the point about uh, it is that a year ago, um, for example, Burford Capital, a company I've written up today, and it's on the website, and it's an IC tip, it's live. It was in the bottom half of the M100 12 months ago. Mm. Share price has doubled since. It's performing amazingly well. It's a world leader in providing capital for legal cases, litigation cases. Generates return on capital employed of 28% year on year on year. And in terms of investors, it's not just equity investors that have done well. It's had retail bonds listed on the London Stock Exchange. They had a new one quite recently. They, they had they? a new one earlier this week. They raised £100 million at 6.1%. Now, if you want a home for your income or you're looking for a home for your capital, that's not a bad return from a world leader in its fields that makes such chunky returns on its capital. Quick question, because they're not the only one doing this. Juridica is the other one. It's not been so rosy there, has it? Oh, Jur- Juridica is one of the um, bargain shares for 2016 that I included in my portfolio 10 weeks ago. Uh, the shares are up 39% as of today. Okay, I take it back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, 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 I mean, last year was not a great year for them. I um, guess you've picked it at the right moment then. Um, it was stock picking, John, yes. Stock yeah. picking. That's why we pay you the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> um, so anyway, aim. I look at this list of these top 100 companies, uh, of which we cover 50 this week. You know, there's lots of companies you'd recognise, you know, as you know, even if you weren't an investor, you'd recognise these companies. This is, these are solid businesses. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm looking at the list at the moment. And for example, Safe Style UK floated on the AIM market December 2013. Shares have doubled since. We've had it on a buy and I've followed it since the, the flotation. Windows. Um, yeah, it's the, it's the UK's leader in replacement windows. That's what it does, but it does it very well. You probably see the adverts on TV offering 0% interest-free credit for I two need, years. I need some new windows, actually. Um, cool. <laughs> well, well, seemingly, um, they're 20% cheaper than most rivals because okay. the scale of the operation, they can do that. Um, um, and also they're returning cash to shareholders. They've got a special dividend next month, um, plus the ordinary dividend. You can pick up roughly 13 pence against the share price of £2.80 in dividends if you buy before mid, mid-June. mid I mean, that's quite an interesting point that I mentioned in the introduction. Looking through the list of the top 100, three quarters of them pay a dividend. I mean, that's that's quite substantial. That's, you know, this is not a necessary, you know, just a growth, speculative growth index. These are, these are sometimes, in many cases, income plays as well. They, they've... 
have solid balance sheets, cash generative, and that cash flow covers not just last year's dividends, but possibility of progressive dividends in years to come. Mm. I'm looking at the list at the moment, and another one is Epwin, which does things like dormer windows and mouldings for roofs and things like that. Interestingly, the broker that floated that was Zeus Capital. They floated SafeStyle, and both shares have done very, very well. And another company they recently floated, which I wrote up a couple of weeks ago, was Watkin Jones Group. Never uh, heard of them. Provider of student accommodation. Um, ah, which is a subsector we like a lot. And, well, I, I think I, I had a look at the 132-page admission document and broker's note that went to about 85 pages. How did you print it out, Simon? I did. You'll, you'll be getting the bill for the paper very shortly. <laughs> yeah, and the new printer as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but, but the point is that if you follow the right broker for the flotations of these companies, the chances are you're going to be onto a winner. So we and like Zeus, do we? I like Zeus a lot. I've only had one company that's blown up with Zeus out of seven I followed. Interesting. Uh, um, Zeus, is they, are they listed? Or are they, no, uh, they're, they're not listed. They're led by a gentleman called John Gould, who's the chief exec, who's formerly an um, investment banker with Arden Partners. Okay. Um, um, oh, well, that is interesting. I mean, that's an interesting insight there. You're backing people there as much as... Uh, as stories. I, I'm backing the reputation of the firm to pick out the right companies and turn away the dross. And yes, there is dross in AIM. Let's make no mistake about it. Mm. There is dross. But if you can actually get rid of that and actually focus on the decent companies and the brokers that actually followed those decent companies, then you improve the chances of having a profitable outcome on your investments. Another one there is Manx Telecom. That's a live IC buy tip. Uh, shares floated just over two years ago. They're up about 50%. It offers a 5% dividend yield. It's rock solid. But, but worth, worth checking if you're if you're an investor in AIM shares anyway. Absolutely. And I, th- I think one of the reasons why the AIM index has done so well is the ability to produce a decent dividend and underpinned by cash flow. And as you said, three quarters of these companies actually pay dividends. Is it, I, I, was, I was flabbergasted by that statistic, actually. I mean, it's, uh, it's really impressive. And actually, uh, looking at my numbers here again, I think it was about, I mean, a fair number of them are beating the, the kind of average uh, dividend yield of the, the FTSE 100. I mean, it's, you know, these are, in some cases, producing serious income. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm looking through this list at the moment, and um, another one, which is the live IC buy tip, our Bathnet Banking is about to pay a special dividend. Not at the greatest year, looking at that. It's, it's not at the greatest year, but interestingly, the shares have rallied quite strongly after um, last month's results. Mm. Um, I think as investors reappraise the prospects for our Bathnet. I, mean, I, th- I think our view here is that, I mean, because they own this big stake in Secure Trust, which is doing very well. Sure. And that's in the top half of the, sure. the A100. And I think the view we have is that actually there's a lot of that business that that the market is ignoring. So they're looking at the secure trust stake, but not the rest of it, which is actually doing really well. Oh, yeah. I mean, our Bathnet private bank makes seven million pounds operating profit. I mean, and, and this kind of this goes back to this idea that actually within AIM, you've got these stories where because they're not massively well covered by the analyst community, you've got aspects of the businesses that are being overlooked. Oh, and to give you a prime example, looking at this list, the one that sticks out at the moment to make a very positive return over the next three months, irrespective of Brexit or market fluctuations, has got to be LXB Retail Properties. This is a company that's in the process of winding itself up. It's got a March 2017 deadline to do so. Um, 
It's basically built a whole load of retail uh, shopping centres. Um, it's pre-sold them to the likes of the Crown Estate um, and other fund managers. And as soon as the shopping centres are ready to be passed on to those um, to those new owners, the company books the profits and it's re- going to return the cash to shareholders. Mm. And I, I've been running through the numbers on this and I reckon this company's net asset value, which was 103 pence, last September, share price is 97, um, is going to be roughly 120 as of today. And I reckon net cash on its balance sheet by the end of June this year is going to be close to 40 pence a share. Mm. So we're looking at, you know, share price performance over one year, not 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 particularly spectacular, but this is this is a return of capital story here. And it's, it is. It's a great it is. One. And I, I think you could easily make a 20% return on your capital over the next eight, nine months in this stock with very little down risk yeah. given all these pre-sale agreements that are going to come to fruition in the next few months. Yeah, good. Another one that you, uh, you've you done well on is KBC, KBC Advanced Technologies, which, uh, so our, our list was a hun- uh, one company short uh, this year, 90, the AIM 99, unfortunately, because KBC didn't last long enough to, uh, a sort of production cycle for this issue which takes a lot of work and a long time uh, which I'm sure you can testify to Bradley absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't last long enough to actually uh, have a share price by the time we went to press uh, but this is one you picked out and, uh, I, I picked that one out um, two three years ago and um, 69 pence I remember the price 69p and, and it was taken out at just over 210 was it 210 210 so that's a 200% return excluding dividends um, and again, that's a British success story. They, they do some really smart software to improve the efficiency for oil companies for refining and things like that. And especially in these cost-conscious times, oil companies want to look to save money um, wherever they can, but improve their efficiency. And so much so that KBC was bought out by a rival. Yeah, but I, look, I looked at this one because I thought, you know, it's in it's in the oil and gas equipment sector, essentially, in the subsector, you know, it's going to be bombed out. That's why it's got bought. But I looked at the share price. It's been one one way. It has, because people, and I've been banging the drum for this one for the last 12 months, that it's all down to refining margins. And there's something called the West Coast crack spreads. Uh, Mark Robinson will know this very well from his time in the oil <laughs> I'll industry. I'll ask him later. <laughs> um, but they've been, at, they've been at multi-year highs. Mm. And that is seriously good news for a company that does software for the refining industry. And... Um, because its client base are making bumper profits, so they can afford to actually buy the software and out license it, etc. I mean, that's to kind of suggest that you know you should be yeah you know, very kind of uh, picky when you're looking at a subsector. You know, don't write off the whole oil equipment sector because actually you've got to really look in detail at the companies within it and what they're specifically doing um, to, to really understand where the opportunities lie. And actually, that kind of suggests that some companies can can offer good value because they've been unfairly sold down. Totally, and you. Th- one of the cases you brought up earlier was Juridica. Mm. Ter- terrible year last year. Yes, they had write-downs, all the rest. But at the price, when I saw it in the bargain share portfolio two months ago, it was trading on about 60% below book value. It had cash on the balance sheets and a decent likelihood of some of those legal cases having a successful outcome. And the risk-rewards favoured a very profitable outcome, and that, that's what's happened. Mm. And uh, as I say, looking at that list, LXB Retail sticks out like a sore thumb at that price. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Brad, I mean, you you uh, contributed a few to this one, and obviously next week's. Any any uh, standout AIM 100 constituents for you? 
Well, it's a tough one. I mean, I think um, there are fewer of my ones in this half. I've got more next half, but um, I guess um, well, interesting because I saw an you update. You can give us a bit of a preview morning. if you like. Oh, I, I don't want to give things away, John. All right. Um, <laughs> I think everyone knows who's in the top 50. <laughs> they might not. Um, I know. I've just seen MP Evans's name uh, in this in the list this week. Um, and they actually released a statement this morning, which is why I kind of um, uh, jumped out at me, I suppose. Um, they're uh, mainly a palm oil producer, but they've also got interests in um, Australian uh, beef like cattle herds. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that beef cattle herd side that has been um, the, the sort of the, a bit of a... Um, a saviour, I suppose, last year particularly because palm oil prices were very depressed. Um, but there was a statement this morning from the company saying that um, it was just acknowledging some press speculation in Australia um, that uh, MP Evans is going to sell its stake in um, Napco, which is the business that it has a, a position in for the Australian beef. And I guess if it does sell that, it'd be very interesting because the beef side of things has been very, very profitable for the company, even though it doesn't have a majority stake in Napco. Um, so if it does sell it, then it would just be pretty much exclusively palm oil. It's got some very, very small Malaysian property investments, I think. But yeah, palm oil has been an interesting one. It's worth people having a look at the, the share price, well, the, the price chart of it uh, online. It completely plummeted last year, but already this year, well, it looks a bit like something like gold or oil. It's just flying right back up again. So maybe it would make sense then to sell this uh, this beef mm. uh, interest, given where beef prices are. They're very, very high at the moment. So a sale could be on the cards but the board is stresses that it's reviewing all of its options from selling to trying to buy the rest of the stake that it doesn't already own or at least a bit more it's been around a long long time MP Evans it's, yeah, uh, it's it a well established group and I mean that's the other thing, you know, notable thing about a lot of these there's a lot of new companies that, that have been around relatively short amount of time but there's a lot of been around for a very long time indeed uh, you know one of yours that's not in this list that will be next week Nichols yeah. oh, it's a wonderful company love that company yeah, exactly. And I know you shouldn't fall in love with shares, but <laughs> Nichols is a brilliant company. Yeah, maker of Vimto. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've they've got a fair bit of their um, sales come from overseas, which could be very helpful in the coming years if this uh, sugar levy announced by uh, Mr. Osborne does come to fruition. But yeah, as you say, they're they're they've got some fairly kind of strong brand. I mean, Vimto is obviously a very very old, well known brand and. Um, Vimto, when I, was a, when I was a teenager, I used to go over the golf course sort of, uh, in the summer, summer holidays and I'd go around the show and they used to sell it in big, uh, it was a third extra free. So I, <laughs> Vimto got me around the golf course and got me down to, to the uh, low 80s. So uh, thanks, Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why you like it so yeah, much. <laughs> Finally laid your cards on the table. Um, but yeah, no, so as you say, it's, 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 it's a good company. They made a couple of small acquisitions recently. And yeah, it's, it just seems to be a well-run business that keeps chipping away. As I said, the, the sugar tax thing will be a problem for it and all of its rivals potentially. How much we will see. I mean, all of these companies have sugar-free or low-sugar versions now. So Yeah, and actually, there's another company that previewing next week that uh, Mr. Bearble talks about this week, which is Fever Tree. Now, they're in the top... Top 50. Yeah. Huge company. Massive share price growth over the past year. Obviously, interesting uh, challenges posed to them by the sugar tax. Well, I mean, this is this is another extraordinary aim success story. I, I mean, mean we were... Extraordinary. Yeah, we were talking about this just before the podcast, actually, with uh, Mark and uh, Simon as well. And um, I, I cover it, and um, I had it on a... It was on a buy for a while, and uh, Mark said, "Oh, I think you should put it to hold. Like it's a bit." He's bottled it. No, no, but I, I carried Excuse on. The <laughs> <laughs> I carried on, but I, I had to. I, I bottled it recently. And put you it on bottled hold. it. Yeah, I put it on hold. <sighs> it has gone up so much, and um, while I'm still very bullish on it, I mean, just the rating is very, very, very high. But in its favour, 
it's very asset light. It doesn't have it outsources things like bottling and that sort of thing. So it's effectively a very shrewd marketing business that happens to sell drinks in a way. So it's kind of it doesn't have the uh, onerous problems of looking after factories that sort of thing. It's a very very kind of yeah modest business that's doing very very well um very popular it's doing very well in all the supermarkets could it be bought out i don't know who knows i mean it's, it's a bit expensive probably at the moment but mm. i don't know what your views are on it simon when i last looked at it I, I don't know what the share price at the moment is but I, I fell off my chair when i saw that the rating was almost 30 times earnings and you know that's an earnings yield of three two point three percent and in order to justify that for any company, you've got to not just have double-digit growth in earnings year on year, you've got to have high double-digit growth going out five years. Is it possible? Yes. Personally, is, is there a possibility that there's an, another fever tree out there? I mean, fever trees come from nowhere, and it's just my own view, but these brands emerge, they do very well, very profitable, and then another big giant comes along and launches another brand and all of a sudden it's the new in thing. Mm. Um, well, this, this is what Bearable talks about. He calls it the Casey Perry effect. Okay. Which has baffled everybody at the magazine this week. But I think he's got a point. Is that Fever Tree becomes popular and everyone drinks it because everyone else is drinking it. For some reason, he's equated this to Casey Perry because apparently everyone buys Casey Perry records because because other people buy Casey Perry records. But I can safely say I've never bought a Casey Perry record. No, ditto. I, I can safely say I don't have a record player. <laughs> or a CD. Or a CD. MP3. <laughs> um, anyway, I think his point is that, you know, these these very richly rated success stories run the risk of exactly what you say there, Simon, that someone comes along and they're not, no longer the next big thing. I mean, I remember going back um, when I was starting out at the IC, this is back in 2000, and a retail writer at the time was doing Matalan's results, and it was on the edge of the FTSE 100s. We looked at them, it was 50 times earnings. Matalan? Matalan. Wow. And this is a retailer, and we know with retailers, one bad seasonal blip causes profit warning and massacre of the share price. And we just agreed, no, mm. this is too punchy and put on a cell. And that, you know, that, that was the high point for Maslan. And my point is I get very wary with retailers when they get to punchy, punchy ratings. Ted Baker, bit of a curveball I've just chucked you there. Because that one seems to live up to its punchy rating time after time after time after time. I'd, I'd have to have a look at it. I, I haven't looked at it for a couple of years, John, because I've been focused on the small caps, mm, mm. and it's it's a lot bigger. It's outside my, my remit. It's, but... a, it's, a, it's pretty much a small cap that when I first tipped it, I think but, we might have uh... even had a row about that. <laughs> 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 there, there will be exceptions to it, of course. Um, but I, as I say, I'm just, I'm just quite wary of buying retail stocks on high 20s, 30s, forward earnings multiples. I think, I think you're quite right. And... Uh... As Bearable mentions this week, uh, Burberry is, uh, is is a classic example of, of you know a very punchily rated chair that the shine has come off, and uh, yeah, it happens. It happens. All right, we're going to get kicked out of the studio. We are. I can see them hovering. Um, so uh, thank you, Simon. Thank you, Bradley. Good discussion. 
That's we right. could go on for ages. But uh, yeah, sadly, time is against us. Uh, lots more in the magazine this week. I mean, it's, it's a huge, a huge feature, the A100. That, so huge, in fact, we have to run it over two weeks. So there's plenty more in the magazine. Chris Dillo has updated his no-thought portfolios. Momentum has, uh, has not done so well. I mean, this is, this is very unusual. Value's uh, actually been having a good run recently, um, which is quite interesting. You're a, you're a value man, Simon. Just for the readers, I, I've produced a list of all the 160 stock recommendations I've made in the first 16 weeks of this year. Haven't you? 160, John. Do you sleep? I, I do try, <laughs> sometimes, on, on a Sunday. <laughs> okay. But, but the point is that a lot of those have done well, and the ones that have done best are the value-orientated strategies. Mm, mm. And that's telling you something about the market generally. Okay. Not so many results this week. Um, getting to that kind of quiet time of year, which is nice, um, which is why we fill our days with other stuff, like the A100. Lots in the funds personal finance section. ETF celebrating their 16th anniversary. And... Uh, Kate Beely, who's, uh, who's our ETS specialist, has done a, a lovely podcast around that. So uh, have, a, have, a, have a listen to that as well after you've obviously listened to this one. And they'll be doing the usual uh, podcast tomorrow. Lots of uh, comments, the usual tips, and um, there's a few more stories in the news section that we didn't talk about today. Anyway, AIM 100, uh, part one, £4.70, all good news agents, and uh, we'll be back again next week when we'll talk about AIM part two. So uh, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. 